spinning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLA and the FM streaming live over the internet, archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. And we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. I'm joined by Chris Ryan. Chris Ryan, Mr. Plaid Shirt, Mr. Hipster, Mr. Producer. Chris Ryan, what a what a guy you are, Chris. I mean, we were walking the other day on Concord's Main Street, and who should come walking down the street but the Chris Ryan family, the Chris Ryan fan club, two great kids and a lovely spouse, but Chris Ryan was busy. He was he was producing. And Chris Ryan, what a professional you are. What a pleasure it is <laughs> to have you going join on. me on the radio. What do you want? I don't know. I, I want to raise. <laughs> I want to I raise want. is what I want. I want to yeah. raise. Yeah. So listen, I... I I want to talk about something that 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 that's that that is uh, important to me, and actually is a really interesting point of view about our government. Um, I just came back from a couple of days in our nation's capital, Washington D.C., and the weather was beautiful. Uh, the cherry blossoms. I was going to ask, cherry blossoms out? Not quite. Not quite. But no. as I left, they were beginning to pop. They were they were in that phase just before they go pink. They were sort of on their way. Uh, they're just beginning to pop. Spring is about to uh, spring in Washington D.C. And I spent a couple of days uh, with my colleagues at the National Council on the Arts. And the National Council on the Arts is the chip. Uh, the chip of the board of directors that oversees the chip of a federal agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. And few people, real, rare, few people think about arts policy in this country. I care about it a lot. The National Endowment for the Arts does a lot with very little money. The total agency budget is $155 million, of which 80% is spent in grants to nonprofit organizations in every congressional district in the country. And those grants uh, reach people who are not reached by private uh, foundations or private contributions to the arts and really help to bring the arts to the people of the United States to inspire, to educate, to illuminate, um, and to transform lives. And it's that last piece I want to talk about because... I may uh, soon be replaced on the Capitol, on, on the National Council. Um, the president has nominated my replacement. Uh, and at some point, the Senate, which moves at a glacial pace after the FBI investigates, will confirm my replacement. And I, I, I'll be a former counselor on the National Council on the Arts. But I had the pleasure on this trip to, uh, we went on a field trip. It's kind of like at school when you go on field trips. We didn't just get together and talk about what was going on. We went out into the field. And we visited one of the intrepid spirit centers 
at one of the military bases where the National Endowment for the Arts has partnered with the Department of Defense to use arts therapy uh, to treat traumatic brain injury and PTSD. Mm. And uh, currently there are nine military bases and two veterans centers where the, uh, what is essentially a pilot program in the Intrepid Centers uh, is going on there, the Intrepid Spirit Centers. And the program started about five years ago with a single, um, single military installation at the Walter Reed Army Hospital. And over the past five years, uh, the program has been so successful that it has spread and will spread to other installations and then to the VA and I think will continue to um, be both inspirational but, but transformational. And I wanted to talk about it because at a time when America is anxious, when we see chaos around us in the world and in our country, when faith in institutions and especially government institutions and the functioning of government is um, at a low ebb. I am consistently amazed at the work that the people at the National Endowment for the Arts do. And I'm focusing on this one aspect because it's just such a clear-cut example of the power of government to do good for people and and why we have it and you think about where your federal dollars go so if you think overall the national endowments budget of 155 million dollars which by the way the president cuts every year in his budget just completely eliminates the agency and congress puts it back and in fact congress increases the budget somewhat the National Endowment has formed a partnership with numbers of different federal agencies. It's, it's almost like uh, the New Hampshire way of public-private partnerships. Without a lot of money, the National Endowment needs to partner with other agencies to extend its reach. But we began this pilot program five years ago, and now the statistics are in. It turns out that for the thousands and thousands of active military uh, and veterans who are suffering from uh, the hidden injury of PTSD, where you don't necessarily see physical symptoms, but it's a terrible thing to suffer from, uh, and traumatic brain injury, where in fact there is neuroscience about what happens to the neuroplasticity of the brain uh, from traumatic brain injury is in. It turns out that Arts therapy for that population is not only among the top three most effective modalities, uh, but is also, as it turns out, the most cost-effective modality for treating uh, what our brave servicemen and women have suffered and what so many uh, veterans are returning from engagements around the world uh, suffer from in terms of PTSD. And we visited Fort Belvoir, uh, where there is an intrepid spirit center. Fort Belvoir is in Virginia and had the most extraordinary and moving experience. Um, I want you to imagine a, a, a um, well-lit, um, 
medical center uh, staffed by doctors uh, dedicated to treating PTSD and TBI, staffed by therapists with a full physical therapy center, uh, and many different kinds of therapy, but uh, especially uh, my focus is on the arts therapy. And we crowded into a small room, uh, about, I'd say, 15 or 20 people. Uh, the staff, some of the directors of the National Endowment, the National Council on the Arts, there were about six of us present at the meeting. And, and in the room, as we came in on the, on the table... Um, and, and it was like a small classroom. Uh, there, were, there were masks on the wall of faces, and, the, and they were all different. There were masks that were black and white. There were masks that were in color. There were masks with spikes coming out of them. Uh, it was part of a mask therapy program. But on the table was this really startling work of art. It was clearly a, a helmet of a helicopter pilot. You, if you've seen them on the news, you, the big green helmet with a visor and, and, the, and a microphone. But there was a face in the helmet that was a pottery or ceramic face. And it was a, it was a face that was startling and it was, um, it was covered in, in red. And it was, it was at once both fascinating and frightening. Um, and, and standing nearby was a young arts therapist and then a young man, a 28-year-old, clean-shaven, crew-cut young man, not very big, um, waiting to speak with us. And it turned out that he was an Army helicopter pilot who two years ago had been in a devastating crash. And in this helicopter crash, the tail rotor had failed. The pilot and his co-pilot had crashed into a golf course 60 miles south of Washington in Baltimore. And they'd been pulled out of the wreck alive. And he explained that his tailman, a 22-year-old tail guy, had, as the helicopter went down, hung his body outside the helicopter as they went down, telling the pilot what the condition of the broken tail rotor was and urging and inspiring him to land the helicopter. Land it, land it, land it, were his last words. And that young man died. The pilot broke down. We broke down. It was an incredibly emotional experience. And he talked about his work of art, and he talked about the project that had taken him a year to complete with the therapist that he said had both transformed and saved his life. He told us it had transformed and saved the lives of his family, who had also been in as a family to participate in this arts therapy program. And he described his work of art as something which he knew would produce an immediate reaction, but for him was a reminder of the fact that he was alive, of the bravery and sacrifice of his tailman, that it represented his ability to finally reach his emotions and express himself when nothing else had, had worked, 
His doctor said he'd come in saying, I'm fine, Doc. I'm fine. I'm fine. But underneath, he had suffered a concussion and, and severe PTSD. And it was an extraordinary example of how this little chip of an agency, which gives out not a very lot of money, can transform lives. It was an example of the federal government working for people in the most direct way of transforming lives person by person. And in an era when, when we doubt our institutions, when we've lost faith in the power of government to work, here was an example, the most concrete, the most moving, the most startling example of a man, a family, a patriot, of an active duty military warrior whose life had been transformed because of this program by the National Endowment for the Arts, because of this investment by the taxpayers of the United States in this extraordinary, now scientifically researched program that saves lives. And for me, uh, even if this was my last National Council on the Arts meeting, it was an extraordinary moment that I wanted to pass along to my listeners because there are places, my, my friends, where, where government works, where government can be effective, where government can protect and help and transform people's lives. And we must not forget that in the blizzard of chaos, in the blizzard of dysfunction that we're so worried about. There are places where it works, and that's why elections are important. That's why caring about people is really important. Um, and that's why I have hope for this country and the transformation of that helicopter pilot who survived a crash but was injured inside and out, uh, who was helped by this little arts program. It gives me hope for America. A couple of things off that um, briefly, and uh, kind of bringing it back to the local level as well. Um, General Don Bulldog uh, has done tremendous work in the Granite State and across the country in being the first commanding officer uh, to talk um, about PTS while um, still on duty, um, and has helped countless individuals step forward and address the issues of PTS which he has struggled from. I also want to point out, um, locally, the Concord Community Music School and Peggy Center um, have used these programs specifically on children who are suffering the effects of um, PTS from, uh, as a result of the opioid epidemic or um, issues at, at home. And these programs work. Um, they're the type of uh, diversion that individuals need. It allows them to express themselves in ways that they don't normally do such and um, are uniquely important and, um, you know, I think work well at the, the local level also. What's really fascinating is there's now scientific research that says this is not just diversion. It's not just entertainment. Mm-hmm. It actually, engaging in the creative pursuits of arts therapy actually rewires the brain 
and reintroduces what is lost in a traumatic brain injury or PTSD, which is uh, called neuroplasticity. So there's now scientific research that is being measured by the programs that I talked about that shows that it works scientifically, it clearly works in terms of results, and um, uh, it's it's a great thing. There's new science, and uh, I'm just lucky to have been a small part of... uh, Uh, of that. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Now don't go away. After a short break, we'll be back to talk with Matt Robeson about some counterintuitive thinking about the Robert Mueller report. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can join our dozens of listeners and binge listen to your heart's content. We're brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at The Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by man about town, blogger extraordinaire, smart guy all around, Matt Robeson, who is the author of AmorePerfectUnion.com, a really, really good political blog. Matt's insights are deeper and more interesting than most anybody else. So, Matt, we're really happy to have you back on Off the Record. Thanks, Paul, and uh, belated happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, getting older and better every single day, except when I look in the mirror and wonder where the gray hair came from. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's doing radio. Maybe maybe it's my radio show that's giving me the gray hair or maybe it's just the passage of time from the from the mists of the distant past into the present. So is it because you're involved in politics maybe? Well, it may be because I'm involved in politics. I mean, look, I remember uh, you know, when uh, way back when when uh, I was spending time with then Senator Barack Obama, who had a full head of dark hair, uh, riding around New Hampshire, um, attending the parades and doing the house parties and all that. Uh, And look at him today. Uh, His hair, his hair turned gray and then white. And, you know, everybody who touches presidency or presidential politics seems to age dramatically. I, I don't know I don't know how that works, but uh it it seems to it seems to do it. But listen, we're having a good time and I'm glad to have you on because you have just uh written a really interesting piece. Um and 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 it's a piece that's a little bit head scratching. It's a little bit I would say counterintuitive to say the least. And it it's about the report of Robert Mueller. And, of course, to the dismay of, of many uh, on both sides of the aisle, I think, and Democrats especially, all we've seen so far of the report of Robert Mueller, 
um, in about the invest his investigation into uh, Russian interference with our elections in 2016. All we've seen is a four-page summary from Donald Trump's picked AG, uh, Mr. Barr, who's written a four-page summary, and that's public. And in the summary, he decided that there was no a criminal conduct or no conduct rising to the level of criminality. Um, and and it, he said that that was his conclusion. Now, we haven't seen the Mueller report. Everybody's clamoring for it. Um, but while Donald Trump has been taking a victory lap, you suggest that maybe this report is good news for Democrats. And I'm trying to figure out why. Why is it good news for Democrats that uh, Donald Trump is out there trumpeting no collusion? I mean, that's what he's wanted to be to say forever and ever. And I'm sure he and his supporters are they took this big victory lap. And uh, I can't figure out why in the world it is good for Democrats. What what are you thinking? So I want to offer a very slight amendment to that. I don't think that the Mueller report is good news. I think the Mueller report is great news. (laughs) Uh, And I want to break this down along two different dimensions. I'm going to keep them a little bit separate. Um, you know, while the while the goal of this show is to talk about politics, and I want to mostly talk about politics, first, um, I want to say that my reaction was, look, as an American, I am glad, I am downright thankful that Robert Mueller did not find out that we have a U.S. president in office who actively conspired with our most dangerous adversaries. And just play this out. Think about it for a second. And it's very hard. It's very hard nowadays to put aside the perspective of one's partisanship. It's hard for me. But what if Mueller had found a new smoking gun? And one of the things we have in that four-page memo from the Attorney General is Mueller's own conclusion that he could not find a criminal conspiracy that implicated the president. If he had found absolute proof of such a conspiracy, if we discovered that we had elected a Manchurian candidate, what a complete disaster, what a complete horror story for the United States of America. And then if you play it out from there, with any evidence of a conspiracy of that kind, the House of Representatives, which you used to serve in, uh, you know, you're you're a good barometer of, of the politics there. Um, you served in the majority with Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. There would have been almost no uh, alternative but to impeach the president. Uh, do you agree? Yes, I agree. I agree. And then if you play that out, what happens next? It goes to a trial in the U.S. Senate, majority Republican. So, on the one hand, if there is absolute damning evidence, Maybe the Senate votes to convict, and then you're removing a United States president because they're an active co-conspirator with our adversaries um, in gaining election to the presidency. I mean, you can only imagine what a nightmare and a spectacle that trial would be in the Senate, how awful it would be for the U.S. uh, and our position on the world stage. But what about the even worse alternative? What if the evidence 
is anything less than totally clear-cut, then people probably retreat to their partisan corners, the trenches are dug and the barricades go up, and we end up uh, in a total standoff with an absolute loss of any credibility in our government institutions. Um, it, it's, it's, just, it's very hard for me to think of any way that that does not play out as a, as a disaster for our country. So I'll stop there. That's my read. Absent the politics, just as an American, uh, and I'll ask you, I mean, how does that grab you? Well, that is a mind game. That is, that's mind candy for uh, a staunch Democrat like me. Because uh, I, I get it. I think I get your point, And I have often proselytized here at this microphone about the importance of statesmanship. I've proselytized about the concerns I've had about the tribalism in our politics and the extreme partisanship and, and, and begged and pleaded with elected representatives to think as Americans, uh, not as members of a party. And you are, you are forcing me you are forcing me into statesmanship. You are, you, you, you are persuading me into statesmanship. And, you know, I can feel myself being pulled there, kicking and screaming all the way. Because if we take a look at the conduct, I mean, here you've got, you've got um, uh, consp- uh, criminals surrounding the president of the United States. I mean, his campaign manager, his advisors, his closest advisors, all indicted, pleaded guilty, um, uh, criminal conspiracy, criminals in uh, in various ways, uh, whether it is tax fraud or uh, or or other matters. You've got multiple Russians uh, indicted by the special counsel for the hacking into our elections. You've got the, the specter of Roger Stone doing something with Wikipedia and Julian Assange, um, no friend of, 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 of the United States, around WikiLeaks, and it was WikiLeaks who hacked the Democrats. And then you have the president of the United States in a public forum on stage, inviting the Russians, as he says, Russia, if you're listening, um, why don't you, uh, we need the emails of uh, Hillary Clinton. And then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was soon thereafter that that emails of the DNC start start getting released. So you have this in a in a public forum. And then you have the conduct of the president of the United States with Vladimir Putin uh, refusing to uh, keep notes of his private meetings, holding private meetings with nobody present, uh, changing a long-standing uh, United States policy vis-a-vis uh, the Ukraine, arguing against sanctions for Russia, and you've got a president who's been cozying up to this former um, Secret Service dictator uh, in uh, Russia with clear global ambitions. So, in that light, it's, it's, it, it is counterintuitive 
uh, for me to think about, okay, how bad could it be? Um, Could it be worse for the United States to have to impeach a clear-cut traitor than it is for the United States to live with a president whose morals, uh, whose uh, whose thought process, whose um, uh, associates are all clearly compromised by unfitness and, in the case of his associates, criminality. So I guess the counter to your argument is, could it be worse? Um, and I suppose your argument is, yes, uh, yes, Petunia, it could be worse. It could um, be worse. It could be worse. It can, it can always get worse. And well, yeah, I mean, look, I... I and I want to I want to turn to the politics of this. I do. Um, you know, that's that. There's a lot of discussion to, to have about that. But I will say on your last point, um, you know, I I I am with the majority of Democrats who feel like you know you you summed it up very well, right? What he did do, what what Donald Trump did do, still pretty darn close to conspiracy. Definitely took advantage of all of the underhanded uh, Russian skullduggery. Um, And by the way, um, Robert Mueller was very explicitly inconclusive on obstruction of justice. I get all that, and I'm on board with it, and I'm pretty angry about it. And still, I still think that there's a clear difference between Donald Trump being sleazy, unpatriotic, almost a criminal, likely bleeding over into, into criminal actions um, many times in his career. Um, there is a difference there, which, by the way, isn't news to, to, to me <laughs> um, or to you, and outright palpable treason and outright conspiracy to work with the Russians to win the presidency of the United States. Um, you know, there, there is just a, there's just a big chasm between those two realities. Um, and I think that the country is far better off living in the world of Donald Trump has done a lot of awful things and did a lot of awful things in his campaign and continues to as president. Um, but he wasn't engaged in a conspiracy, and we threw the best investigation that we possibly could at it um, <laughs> and, didn't, and didn't quite make that case. We're talking, um, we're talking with Matt Robeson, whose blog, moreperfectunion.com, raises the counterintuitive, counterintuitive argument that, uh, thank goodness, as Americans, the president is not clearly a clear-cut traitor. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll be back after a very short break with more of this fascinating conversation about the implications, the political implications of the Mueller report. Good news, bad news for Democrats. We'll find out more after this. Don't go away. We're back. 
It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com. We're talking with Matt Robeson, whose blog, amoreperfectunion.com, explores some of the implications of the Mueller's report. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224 224- Nine one one one. Well, Matt Robeson, we talked a little bit about what it might mean for the country if Robert Mueller had found the smoking gun uh, that said clearly and unambiguously, unequivocally, without hesitation, without question, Donald Trump is a traitor to his country. Uh, but he didn't find that. He didn't find an active conspiracy that involved Donald Trump. What do you think about all the people that surround him? What are the implications of this report for Democrats? Where should Democrats go from here? What should they focus on? Nancy Pelosi says, let's let's just turn the page quietly, she says. Let's talk about health care. Let's talk about jobs. Let's talk about restoring the middle class. Let's talk about climate change. Let's talk about Anything but the Mueller report. We'll just let the committees in Congress quietly go about uh, their business of investigating. We'll go after the report quietly. We'll we'll maybe we'll make some some noise about uh, Mueller's uh, conclusions about obstruction of justice because if there was criminality, uh, very quietly that seems to be where it is. The firing of of uh, FBI Director Comey, for example. Who knows uh, what the full report will reveal, and everybody in the country wants to see it. But other than that, as Democrats, we'll just turn the page. We'll, We'll message about emotionally resonant messaging that's all about our vision, our hope, the future of the country, because in 2020, that's going to be our best chance to defeat this charlatan in the white house let's not even talk about him what do you think so i want to take up the proposition that that you're uh that that they've summarized here i think accurately and um sort of challenge democrats uh you know in, in their political thinking um to really take a hard look at it. Um, and the challenge is, I think that's absolutely right. I think Nancy Pelosi has shown herself to be incredibly strategic in the way she's handled this and what she's enunciating the path forward is. And I agree 100%. Um, I think the problem, and this is a hard and uncomfortable reality for, for Democrats, is that we face the headline effect here. At the end of the day, the Mueller report says no collusion. Donald Trump has been saying for two years now, no collusion. Now, you recognize that underneath the four-page memo from the Attorney General of the United States is a 300-page report, it's been revealed, 300 pages of detail from Robert Mueller. There is a sea of nuance underneath that. Um, there is a sea of likely um, criminal wrongdoing underneath that by a whole bunch of people. But 
end of the day, what voters are going to take away from that is no collusion. And Democrats are going to only serve themselves ill and look worse if they continue to litigate this case. You know, one of the, one of the things that came out, if you talk to um, some of the higher-ups in the Clinton campaign uh, after the experience of, of 2016, um, you know, in fact, on the record, um, one of the Clinton spokesmen, uh, Brian Fallon, said as much that the lesson of 2016 is that Donald Trump does and says outrageous things. And it's probably on purpose. He's probably dangling bright, shiny objects to enrage Democrats and to get them focused on the kinds of fights that he wants to engage in. And in 2016, the Clinton campaign thought, oh, gosh, these issues are so obviously disqualifying. If the Access Hollywood tape isn't so obviously disqualifying, what is? Um, we can fight on these grounds and we can win. The reality is uh, we can't and we may not. The Democrats are far better served to fight on the ground that they did in 2018, health care economic vision, um, the future of the country. So, you know, I think the, the, the bottom line and the moral of the story is, um, you know, more is going to continue to come out. The Democrats are going to continue their investigations. Um, but fundamentally, they have to make the strategic decision. They have to discipline themselves to not pursue this road any further and to focus on the strategic ground that plays to their benefit. You know, it's a fascinating thought that Donald Trump came into the campaign saying, I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue in broad daylight, and I'd still be a winner. Nobody would care. And in fact, his cap gun has gone off more times than we can think about. And Democrats have sputtered and Democrats have complained and Democrats have whined. His popularity, according to the polls, has been between, I don't know, 38 and 48 percent. It's probably hovering right now around 40 or 42 percent, which isn't very high, but at least it's consistent. And Democrats are now, uh, at least as I hear them, beginning to think the unthinkable that that, you know, I hear mutterings, he, he, he could win a second term. He could, he could win again. And, I'm, you know, nobody can figure out what the secret sauce that this outrageous con man has that has been able to pull the wool over the, over the eyes of the public while, while, he, while he dangles the, the kind of spinning hypnotic ball in one hand uh, by, everywhere else. Um, the underpinnings of of the progressive left agenda, whether it's on the environment, the economy, foreign affairs, uh, immigration, uh, education, has all been taken apart. Betsy DeVos cuts money for the Special Olympics. The EPA wants to put more chemicals uh, and and waste back in our water. Uh, you can uh, the 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 State Department has been stripped of its power. Nobody can tell who's our friend, who's our foe anymore. Um, there's, there, it's like pig pen, the pig pen of politics is reigning in the White House in an autocratic 
uh, in an autocratic way, strutting around like Mussolini, and yet Democrats um, have not necessarily found the secret sauce that can go up against Donald Trump. In all of this, Matt Robeson, is there room for a simple, basic argument from Democrats about what has happened to our country, which is that whatever you think about the policies, whatever criminality there may or may not be, what is clear is that the moral underpinnings of our democracy, the basic values in which we honor individual rights, in which we honor human rights, in which we promote human rights around the globe, in which we see our greater security as a nation in doing good, um, uh, have been so undermined by the current occupant of the White House and his cabal, his cronies, his helpers, that Uh, We need to put a Democrat back in the White House after one term of this to restore the moral foundations, the values on which this country uh, was formed, have to be honored. The only way we can do that and get back to a government truly of the people that is working for the people is 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 to recognize the the moral failings. Uh, of the government and the immorality, the amorality of the basis that this man uh, is, 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 is ruling on, and I use rule as if he were a tyrant, and we've got to elect, uh, elect a, a moral uh, president, somebody with integrity, somebody who tells the truth, somebody who, who sees the world in terms of traditional American values. I certainly think that that can be part of the discussion. But I would argue that we should not lead with that element. And, you know, if you look back at the messaging that was coming out of the White House in the run-up to the 2018 midterm, what did you hear? Caravans, MS-13, immigration, hot-button issues on the strategic ground that Donald Trump was choosing. Why? Specifically because it was divisive. Specifically because these are, um, you know, and this is like, uh, you know, theoretical uh, parlance, these are valence issues. People feel very strongly one way or the other against them, and they have a tendency not just to split people, but to make them retreat to their partisan corners. The best pathway for Donald Trump to win is to run that playbook on his set of issues. And I would argue more broadly that the strategic ground that Democrats do not want to occupy is litigating the question of, do you like Donald Trump? Do you think he's presidential? Do you think he's moral? Because I think that those questions have been evaluated by the voters And they've pretty much made up their mind. That element has essentially been baked into the political cake at this point. The the lesson about what came out of the 2018 election is that if Democrats focus on the grounds that they're strong on, health care, economic grounds, the vision for the country, um, they can be successful. Um, You know, so I... I would argue that the 
moral component, the failings of Donald Trump, the man, um, are the kind of thing that voters know. They know. Um, and it is one direction to go. But the better strategic direction for Democrats is uh, a different slate of issues, uh, one on which we've shown we can be successful. We've been talking with Matt Robeson, uh, who writes the blog, moreperfectunion.com. Visit his blog. Uh, check it out. Um, Matt, thank you for joining us on Off the Record. We really appreciate the discussion. Thanks again for having me. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM. We'll be back after this to wrap up this week's edition of Off the Record. Don't go away. We're back. It's Paul Hodes. WKXLAM and FM off the record brought to you by the Birches at Concord. And just a brief wrap up. What a show we had. I talked about my recent trip to Washington and my visit to Fort Belvoir, where I saw the great effects of the National Endowment's work with brain injured soldiers. And Matt Robeson and I talked about the counterintuitive uh, results of the Mueller report for Democrats. It's great for America, said Matt that our president is not clearly a traitor. Think about that. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet. Thanks to our great sponsor, the Birches at Concord at 224-9111. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes.